You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. World Talk Radio. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. Life, the power of water, global warming, which means climate change, but we're going to discuss your health, and that's my personal mission and issue is during the beginning of time, there was a change every moment with the earth's life, and all human family life, all life, began to change the moment they were born. And from there moment that moment on when it entered the air they breathed from the pocket of the water of the womb began a called a dehydration process earth is changing life changes every single moment world aid around the world has been concerned under the UN that 1.1 billion people have no access to water now if 1.1 billion people have no access to water, you're probably wondering, are they dying? Yes, you're right. They are dying. 2.6 billion people in the world have no access to proper sanitation because there's no water. Now, that means individuals have no method. Sanitation, let's just be open. No toilet, no wash basin, no place to wash their hands, and bacteria. Very serious diseases, rampant, going worldwide. Then we have 5,000 a day children die. Now that's 5,000 a day because of lack of water. The concerns I have about the misunderstanding of some of the global warming to me is the fact it's not fashionable. You should be vain. Water will exist life. And I'm dedicated to the mission to understand and study what is life on Earth to save lives in the water and our Earth. That could become a mission and a partnership for all of us every day. Dedicate yourself to think, if we studied every day the life in the water, the faith in the water, could we save lives in the Earth for eternity? And we wouldn't become one of those planets out there that have no water and it doesn't exist any longer. And when you stop to think about death, disease, and concerns, because only water, only water can prevent disease and help you if you're sick. I hope you're drinking t- at least 12 glasses of water a day. And remember, that is vital to your every day. And we're learning because the air is dry. Let's learn more about the concerns of what is available When the air is dry, how can our eyes breathe moisture? We breathe moisture. Our skin breathes moisture. Our sponsor is Biologic Aqua Research Center, and the product they have, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, is one of those products because the air is dry to supplement the eyes. Nothing has ever been available for us ever in history to supplement the eyes with moisture lost because of dry air. You've carried your lip balm. You've had your sunscreen, you've got your toothbrush, you've got sunglasses, you've got vitamins, you've got nutrition, but this is the first time Nature's Tears Eye Mist will supplement the eyes because you must have 100% moisture during the day for your eyes to be healthy. 
we'll take a moment from our sponsor. Oh, and before we go, tomorrow is Earth Day. And I will be announcing later who is the founder of Earth Day, and that will be a fascination. Dr. Tom Atsit is our guest again, who is a, from the Forest Service. He's an ecologist, and we're going to learn a lot about Earth Day and what we should be doing to preserve life on this earth through the water and the concerns of all of us being a partnership. We'll call it a human family. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Are we inviting you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water on this earth and life and global warming, which means climate change every moment of the day. Our Earth is changing, and your health. Tomorrow is Earth Day, April 22nd, and the founder of Earth Day, a former governor, senator uh, from Wisconsin, Gaylord Nelson, has passed away, but in 1962 began Earth Day, and he was the one in Wisconsin who decided that it was not a fashionable concern, but it was a serious concern for everyone to get together on a particular day and concern themselves about the earth. And he formed family and community activities, cleanup days, uh, tree planting events, nature walks, and more. And this has been going on that long. He really did a special thing, and I think everybody ought to pay tribute to Wisconsin, their former governor, and Senator Gaylord Nelson who was the founder of Earth Day and has been given a presidential award for doing so. Today we have Dr. Tom Atsit with us. Tom, are you with us? I am. How are you doing today? Oh, it's a good morning up here. It is a good morning. And before we begin, could we tell our listeners a little bit about your background? And one of the reasons that are exciting having you on here today, Dr. Atsit, is because tomorrow is Earth Day. You and I did not know that probably at the time we forgot when you were scheduled. But tell us a little bit about your background and your dedication. Okay, uh, I have been with the Forest Service for about 37 years. I retired in 2002. I've always been interested in kind of a mix between operations, in other words, getting things done on the ground, and research, which is more associated with concepts. So my background has kind of been in limbo in that sense. Sometimes I would be called a researcher. Other times I would be called a practitioner. <laughs> so I've been in uh, forestry and ecology for 40 years, and I knew I wanted to do this all the way back to a sophomore in high school. My goodness. So you 
had an idea where, because you liked hiking and being out in the forest when you were young. Actually, I didn't like hiking, fishing, or hunting. <laughs> I so where did I, you grow up? In the middle of Manhattan? <laughs> no. I grew up in, uh, in parts of California and eastern, uh, the eastern part of uh, San Diego County and Washington oh. and Oregon. But well, being I, a California guy, maybe you were surfing <laughs> instead of hiking. <laughs> no, it's always the, the attraction has been the challenge of biology. Okay. Uh, physics and chemistry were a little bit, side. at least when I was working with them, a little bit uh, fixed. And so mm -hmm. biology, there were always questions lingering regardless of, of what you did. So it was mm -hmm. very attractive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Atz, today um, uh, I'd like to, before we go into all of the topics that we're going to cover that are so fascinating, is uh, Earth Day is tomorrow. Yes. And uh, you probably heard that uh, former governor and senator of Wisconsin, Gaylord Nelson, started that as far back as 1962. Uh, right. And I think when I think back and you look at the history of this country, uh, the Republican Party, at least to this point <laughs> recently, has been really on the forefront of conservation. Like mm -hmm. uh, the National Environmental Policy Act was... Uh, instated during the Nixon administration. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of our wildernesses were established at that time, mm -hmm. too. So mm -hmm. uh, the Republican Party has this uh, background of being into uh, conservation issues. Actually, worldwide, uh, a lot of people did not know that, that the Republican Party uh, has been a forefront of worldwide concerns and lots of money and uh, in fact they've said that uh, uh, President Bush has done so much for the country more than any other president even if we've had a lot of money going into other countries of the world for other reasons he still has been very much connected to the environment and the concerns and uh, forefronting again as, a, uh, as the Republican Party has. Well, to be uh, to be honest, is I, I'm very much a de Democrat, as I told you before, mm -hmm. and I would have a different opinion of how President Bush fares in terms. Of I'm, I'm glad you called all, everybody you were a Democrat. Okay. <laughs> okay, but anyway, well, it's uh, you're telling the truth and nothing but the truth because it is a fact that, uh, and there's been so many people that uh, through the many years, our forefathers and our. Uh, that had their ranches and their farms and their homes that really cared about the forest. And, and um, Tom, I'm one of those people that believes that the forest, uh, our timber industry and our foresters and more, really loved it. And I'm a believer, and somebody can hold me up on this, but I believe that if our government long ago had worked with the businesses of America in the timber industry, as the tree came down that was coming down, there was a tree planted. And I don't expect people in the business of lumber, timber, that are bringing in, in the, um, uh, the economy and doing so we could build a house and make it for affordable that we're intentionally doing anything they didn't know about. The government scientists knew a lot about the forest. Today, let's start out with humans are no part of the natural system, um, are not part of the natural system, or are uh, the effects of it. Now, when you say humans are not part of the natural system, nor are their effects, 
What did you mean by that? Well, this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about uh, was that particular myth. And uh, today, uh, depending on you know how deep we go into these, uh, there are quite a few myths that people think of or think about how they deal with the ecosystem. Uh, I just worked in Idaho for last week working on a national poll about people's feelings about forest health. And another myth is that the ecosystem is in balance. So when I talked about humans being not part of the natural system, uh, remember last time we talked, I mentioned that when you're out in the woods, you are prey. There's quite a few things that feel that way. They don't care that you have a brain and you could reason. They don't care that you have opposing thumbs. If they get the chance, they're going to, going to eat you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you are part of the nat- natural system. And that is my point, is that when we deal with ecosystems, even in, in environmental impact statements, when somebody evaluates what's going to happen for a particular uh, project, humans often come last in that. And so the animals that they're considering may be considered up front, mm-hmm. where we're looking at, oh, gee, what's going to happen to the spotted owl? Well, really, I've been trying to get the agencies and people, when they do an environmental impact statement, to say, okay, here's how this project is going to affect animal life, including humans. And mm-hmm. if we did that, they would realize that we need habitat, we need water, we need food, we need everything that other animals need. Mm-hmm. And if we considered it right at the very top, I think we would have a better understanding how people fit into the ecosystem. Give us so, a, because you have that scientific background, Doctor, could you give us a little quick definition of just what you said? Because people forget that we're living with the earth. The earth is not going to just set its side particularly living for us ever. So as you say, the ecosystem is everything on this planet that's living with the earth. How would you describe the human family side of life connected to the rest of the animals and all else that's living on this earth? What did you find in your research that the human, let's call it human family life, of all of the earth what's to do here? In other words, uh, what do you think happened that fell through the cracks that they forgot that? Well, I think so, because uh, we we try to set ourselves apart. We try to put ourselves in shelters. Well, so do other animals. They go underground. They do what they can in order to soften the extremes that they in, encounter in the environment. But mm-hmm. if you walk outside, you get sunburned, mm-hmm. or you get rained on, you know, or you feel the temperature, and the nutrients that you eat come from the earth. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what, what you were saying just a minute ago about uh, people in the timber industry, I know families here that have made their living logging and working in the woods, the, like I said before, the operational side. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's kind of like the farmers. Mm-hmm. They have this link, very... Strong, so the way the earth operates. Yeah, they feel it. Yeah, they live with it. And so I feel that 
when I work with the families around southwestern Oregon, and you know that too, you're from this area, they do have this strong link to how the ecosystem works and what they need to do to make sure they sustain the productive capacities of the ecosystem they work in. I'm not sure how we forgot that. Maybe too much in the city, too much in the shelter, and too few uh, encounters or, or uh, you know, being in the woods. And although I wasn't a hunter or fisherman, uh, about 80% of my uh, career was spent taking plots and measuring various aspects of the environment and the organisms in the woods. So I feel like I have a very strong tie to the, the woods, too. Yes, you do. Uh, and let's give compliment to uh, Earth Day tomorrow to everyone who's ever, our farmers and all of the foresters and the timber industry in America who really did love the woods and care for the woods. And like we say, we've done a, well, I think maybe just cigarette smoking. Did we know way back in time that cigarette smoking would kill people? They weren't thinking that way. A lot of things we're eating. Right. We didn't know that would hurt people's health. Did we know that people were going to be allergic to air and to some waters? No. So it's a learning process all the time. And you said one thing, doctor, you said, too, sometimes when there's a little stress, we take notice, very, we take better notice of something that is happening, that if there's no stress, we don't notice it at all. So maybe, and my you're, you're the authority, but you know, it's uh, when we're under a stress and we're under pressure, we're learning more than if things are just idly going even, evenly and smooth and balanced out to, to balanced. Maybe that's where we learned long ago that we all have to work together uh, to help each other make a better place to live on this planet uh, for the forest. And it's you know, like the word green has become very popular. But moisture for life is green, and looking at green trees, green bushes, green fields means moisture, moisture to live. Yes, and, and uh, when you go back to the idea of stress, we talked a little bit about that on our last, uh, in our last phone call. But uh, a lot of people, when you think about what's going on in the uh, human health arena, how stress is considered bad. I mean, if you have stress in your life, you need to get rid of it. But it's one of the essential ecological elements for uh, evolutionary selection. So that what's happening... Now, do you mean evolutionary selection or maybe learning about your choices? Well, you you could probably bridge it to that. Okay. But when you look at uh, what's going on in the ecosystem, every animal is under a certain amount of stress to obtain its food and water. Uh And those that can do it and can do it well Uh survive. Those that can't die and are discarded. So stress Uh is the selective process that allows us to select from those who were successful. Uh So the animals that were successful or the companies that are successful, you know, pass their genes from generation to generation. So now, have you studied, and now, now we're talking stress, have you, there's a psychic. Now, you may have 
some better term because of your background as a scientist. But someone, I had a doctor on one not long ago, said there's a, 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 there's a, a, a intuition, psychic, a feel around you that gives you some something to base your feelings on. It's like, I, I'm going to go this way. There's, I've been out in the forest and I've seen the doe, the mother uh, with the fawn. And she is just standing still, doctor. doesn't even move. Mm-hmm. But she's trying to feel. She's trying to allow the feel of what is going on out there so the fawn can be protected. She doesn't move. Right. And the forest, if you go into the forest, you can almost, if you allow it, and feel the forest doing a protection. Mm-hmm. And well, we as humans, don't, I don't believe we should ever, ever be apologetic if we want to feel what is right and wrong, yes, it will some time to heard, do that. You've probably heard the, the idea from communication specialists that 90% of communication is not verb, nonverbal. Yeah, okay. yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting there and you're thinking about the deer in the woods or you're thinking about our intuition, maybe it isn't intuition at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that we are sensitive to those nonverbal cues. Sensing something. That are all around us, yes. Yes. And then we make decisions that are informed in a way that are not so obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people should, no one should ever be embarrassed of that because Earth is doing that. People complain about the volcanoes and the earthquakes and the hurricanes and the, oh, the, the massive storms or the heat or the drought. Well, Earth is taking a stress too. Am I right or wrong? It's no. stressing to do something. Sure. And is that the way to look at it? Sure. Is okay. that stress sharpens or hones okay. the processes that you use. If you have a person that has never had any stress in his life, we call that born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Oh, well. Have you heard that? Or they're that? not telling the truth. <laughs> and so a lot of the people that haven't gone through, say, some uh, stress or, or death in the family or maybe a divorce, there are a lot of watershed events that cause us to reconsider the environment we live in. And that hones our capability to understand what's going on around us. That's a good thing, if there's not too much of it. <laughs> We're going to take a break from our sponsor, but when we come back, let's discuss some of the over-exploitation that, is, that you want to tell us more about in the system, because... There's people are not understanding this stress of the understanding of why is the earth doing what it is? Why is it that my faith isn't being understood? Because why is that maybe God doing something or whatever? And as a scientist, you'll be able to give us some uh, foresight on some of your knowledge and what you've done in your research. We'll be right back, and we're going to listen to our sponsor and Nature's Tears Eye Mist for Dry Eyes. Be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. 
To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. Life, the power of water, your health, and global warming, and what is happening with you living, all of us living as a human family, let's call it, on this earth together, uh, life on earth, to, to hopefully have a healthier life and a much more enjoyable life all together on the whole planet. Today our guest is Dr. Tom Atsett, who is a re- in research and has been for many, many, many years with the U.S. Forest Service, but he's an ecologist. And he has 37 years of background in study. And we've been talking about behavior and uh, our understanding of the earth, the planet, and we as humans and life living with it. Um, Doctor, I wanted to ask you on uh, the, you have here, over-exploitation is not found in natural systems. What does that mean? Well, that's another myth. And so when you think about people that say they're one with the earth or they know how to live with the earth, uh, maybe and maybe not. You have to look at that really carefully, or the idea that animals do not over-exploit. And some of the classical themes in ecology on that are the idea that uh, the first one I ever read was about the acacia tree and the elephants on the African plains, and that was uh, their uh, one of their staples. And so when they... Uh, had the tree available, they would eat and eat and eat, and they would take it down to where there wasn't enough for reproduction. So the population of the acacia tree would crash. Mm -hmm. And so that meant there was no food for the elephants. And so uh, they would also begin to crash because their staple was eliminated by over-exploitation. Now, over in India, let's say, Okay. Do you think way back in time that was what developed? Well, it's happening all over the animal world right at this point in time, mm-hmm. is that in almost any population you see in the animal world, mm-hmm. uh, there is over-exploitation. Mm-hmm. When uh, food is available and conditions are good, you know, it's a little bit like the stock market. Uh, everything, everybody kind of hones in on the resource and they eliminate the resource, and then the population crashes. That's a, a, a cycle in, in uh, ecology that is a classical cycle. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping, <laughs> you know, we, we are very arrogant about having a brain and all of this that sets us apart from the animal world. It would really, really be nice if we uh, found a way that we didn't over-exploit that we didn't have to crash, that we didn't have mm-hmm. to, to deal with some of the, uh, say, bad times. That you, animals... just met, you just said it, something that I have been studying for about 30 years is nature, life, and, and the water and what's happening to the air and more. But mm-hmm. when I began to study the nature of life and animals and what separates many people from the animal is discipline. And along the way, when we learned as a human species to be disciplined, we became a person who wanted to learn more and be smart enough to know we didn't know enough. 
we were going to discipline some of our vulnerabilities. Now, did you follow me? I love that. (laughs) Okay, thank you. And people around the world, scientists, have said, Sharon, you are right, because the discipline we have to learn, and it's such hard work to be a disciplined person. Uh, When you know you are doing something that is not healthy, you have to back off, take some time, and look at it and feel through it, and we're back to that psychic understanding of ourselves as a person. So the disciplined person is a person who realizes they're not smart enough, they have so much to learn, and they learn to become more disciplined, and that gives them probably a longer life even, a healthier life, because they're out in the world, like you said, in the forest and in the, in the, the planet itself to survive for other animals that couldn't make it. Yes. are having trouble getting any discipline because they really get I don't care who what kind of animal you are whether you're the 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 uh the the little bug out there surviving to our birds to uh, the the deer to the bear whatever animal the spotted owl whatever it may be they're having to learn to think like that I must learn that I don't know enough and can I discipline to get smarter and I, I, am I wrong? No, I, uh, like I said, I, I love that on idea Earth. because here we are, we're very proud about our brains and our uh, ability to reason. Now, what would be worse than, say, the thing that we're most proud about for our species, that we just discard it and follow, uh, follow our, uh, what, our whims without planning and without thinking about what we need now and in the future and have some disciplines? What if the uh, elephants, got together and said, okay, we could probably live in, uh, just as long and just as hel- I don't know if they, what they deal with as far as happiness, <laughs> but, you know, if we had a little discipline in our herd, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there wouldn't be starvation, there wouldn't be those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So you get to the point, you wonder if, if that contradicts some of the things we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Would that eliminate stress, and would it be bad in the long term for evolution? You know, I could think we could almost use uh, our campaigns that are going on now for the next presidential election. Have you ever noticed that two years prior to a presidential election of the, like this one, in the past there's always been what they call a consumer negative. And when you're running for a campaign, you want to bring out negative. You don't want people to, you want them to be vulnerable. That's th- this is negative. There's got to be change. And we are talking about the animals as a species on this earth. That's the concern each animal or life has, is if there's going to be a change, they're wondering what kind of change will happen. Even though you like the word, the word change, every animal, everything on earth wonders, I might like to hear that, but what will be the change for sure or what at all? And uh, the uh, consumer confidence in the United States, have you ever noticed, Doctor, that it changes? Yes. And, and the economy gets worse. Uh, things happen to the business world because everybody is so concerned what is happening to the confidence, well, the people who are running for those positions don't want you to have confidence that you've liked what's happened in the past. They want you to elect them to make a change. Right. They don't want you to think the past was consistently happy for you. 
Now, let's say we're out in the ecology of our lives, living with this planet. The planet goes through that ecosystem, too. Mm-hmm. There was a, a couple of things there that really hit my uh, uh, frontal lobe there was the idea that the negative aspect of what we often do. If I were to tell you I do not want you to think of giraffes, what happens? I'm wondering why. Well, not only that, but a giraffe <laughs> probably comes to mind, right? Which one? <laughs> Doesn't it? What? Which one? A giraffe. If oh, I yeah, think. I had the giraffe come to my mind, but the first thing, I guess I'm too uh, programmed maybe, but the first thing I wonder, if you say don't, I want you thinking about a giraffe, I'm wondering why don't you want me thinking about a giraffe, but you're right. You think about a giraffe, yes. <laughs> okay. You're right. I see what you're doing now, because if you say don't think, don't think giraffe, I'm going to think giraffe. That's right. Exactly. And so when but we're if you dealing... say think yeah. giraffe, what am I going to do? Yeah. Well, you'll probably think a giraffe. And yeah, okay. The idea, <laughs> the idea that it's mentioned okay. is probably what I'm getting at. And whether okay. if you do it negatively, you're still going to think of it. And so when you deal with a positive world and you're talking, now this is out of my field because I'm, I know ecology. I don't know human nature, but I feel like we would be better well, I'll, off. I'll debate that a little bit. I think anybody <laughs> that's an ecologist is learning a lot about life and nature, and we humans live on it on this planet together. Yeah, that's. I like that. <laughs> and so when we talk about uh, negatives, that's that's what we're gonna we're gonna dwell on. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need to do a little bit like evolution does. The idea that we discard what doesn't work. We discard what doesn't work. It discards the animals that can't survive and so on. And so we need to keep what does work. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that need to be in the forefront. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a number of times, you mentioned collaboration with others, working together towards, you know, our future. Wherever we've seen that, it works. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are the kind of things that uh, kind of came to mind when you were talking about uh, the idea of how we deal with the negatives and the kind of campaigns that are going on now is if we would keep what works and discard what doesn't, it's a model that evolution has been using successfully. Mm-hmm. And it's well, been so successful that when you think about where engineers are going for their solutions to engineering problems, mm-hmm. nature has already seen those problems. A lot of the engineers are going to nature to find solutions to everything from heating problems to cooling mm-hmm. to storing water. Mm-hmm. It's happened with animals and, and uh, evolution all health, and nature. health issues and symptoms. You know, whenever I go to study all these many, 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 many years, I go as far back as I can find information on the very first of some idea of what I want to study. Mm-hmm. Then I come forward through the centuries, the decades, the years and try to understand what, what, what evolved there. And then I come to conclusions that maybe this is what I need to learn to know. So a good, a good at research, good at scientific studies, stay open-minded, always be open, like you've said, Doctor, too, open-mindedness. And, and do you, could you ever know enough? It's impossible because at moment change. And uh, don't be so smart that you close off Yes. What is so important to learn on the next moment? That's right. Because of the changing, and you, you're very, very. Uh, the, I would just admired your uh, thinking on that because 
really good scientists, doctors, think that way. Yes. I find really good doctors and good people from all walks of life and, uh, and business people think that way, but then there's others who want to be everything so quick. They don't want to take the time to really understand what is happening, where do we go with it, what's the behavior of it, how do we, what do we deal with ongoing, and the word can be almost long-term yes. thinking. And yes. if our planet could think long-term for the water, Yes. We'd be here for eternity because we'd be thinking about what, what is the life of water and our life in water and, and what our attitude and our, our confidence should be that how, if we're healthy as a person, that'll be vulnerable to other people's health. Yes. And so you're, you're, uh, zeroing in on the idea that we're talking about, uh, long term and we're talking about keeping the options open to maintain. Options open. Yes, to, to maintain a functional system. And when you think about science, it's a gradual, systematic process. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Princess Leah in Star Wars? No. <laughs> okay. No, my grandchildren probably could tell me. <laughs> I'm dating myself here. Okay, you, you, so you like Star Wars? Yes. And so okay, well, as a scientist. Do you know Carrie Fisher was uh, Princess Leah? Okay. And Carrie Fisher wrote some really good stuff, but... Uh, one of the things that she said was uh, the problem with instant gratification is that it takes too long. Okay. <laughs> and so here, you know, we have a, a public that is looking at, you know, instant credit, instant food, instant solutions, instant stuff. And really, when it comes to our adaptation over time, we have to think in the long term, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And be disciplined. Yes. Because, uh, and that, that, that is the human side of hopefully people wanting to be more human is the more disciplined you can be with your own vulnerability as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, we, uh, I had on here not long ago, and I hope you listened to it, the heads of the worldwide, <clears throat> excuse me, water aid under the UN. And it was just fascinating thinking about what's going on in the world with the concerns of water all the way over to Ethiopia, but to India, to all the Asia, uh, even when we had it happen here in Georgia this year. Right. Uh, they were so worried that they were going to have any water because they hadn't built any reservoirs for 40 years, from what I remember. And uh, that is something we have to consider on this earth is uh, green is the, is, is the moisture in the air that is providing everything to be green so you can and, breathe moisture. I think in the first discussion we had, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and we're talking about the idea that food, water, and air were, you know, basic human needs. Uh, and a human cannot go very long without water. And so when we're talking about what we see happening, and I heard you... Uh, talking about this very thing at the top of the program, the idea that a lot of it, a lot of our water is contaminated all over the world. Oh, it is and so It reminds me of, uh, here's another date. Did, did you, have you ever heard of the Kingston Trio? Yes. Okay. <laughs> there was, they had a song that they called Copeless, and in it uh, there's a line that I remembered all the way back from about 1962 was, Tell your parents not to muddy the water around them. They may have to drink it soon. 
Oh, my goodness. And so he listened well to those words. <laughs> and it was because the song's about hot peppers. Okay. And eating hot peppers. Okay. I, I remembered that, and I thought... Oh, what a writer for that song. <laughs> it's an old uh, South American folk song. The Kingston Trio didn't uh, write it. They, they adapted it to uh, kind of a, the rock folk mm-hmm. uh, genre they were in. So, but the, the idea that uh, that... That phrase just hit me as being really a crucial phrase. That well, there's about. something here with World Water Aid. Yes. It says intestinal worms infect about 10% of the population of the developing wor- world. Intestinal parasite infections can lead to malnutrition, anemia, and stunted growth, and many more diseases. One gram of human feces can contain 10 million viruses. One million bacteria, 1,000 parasite cysts, and 100 parasite eggs. See what happens with contamination. And that goes to another one of the things that, that I mentioned we might talk about, the idea that we are really the top of the food chain in the ecosystem, that we are above everyone, you know, and it's a little bit arrogant. So when you think about the kind of organisms that are in the ecosystem, the bacteria, the virus, those organisms are really, when you think about it, at the top of the food chain because mm-hmm. they take care of everything uh, in the la- at last, you know, the, mm-hmm. the decomposition. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and they're the ones that we are really being preyed upon by. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about... Uh, protecting ourselves from maybe cougar or bear, you know, everybody understands that how to do that. And uh-huh. we need to do the same thing when we talk about the parasites that are really the top of the food chain. Oh, and look what's happening, disease. All, I feel very sorry with all the companies that are inventing these unbelievable types of medication to try to help us. But they're not understanding, uh, doctor, and that's my field, and they're now understanding more, but how dry we're we're living with a body drought and so if the body is already dry the air because the air is so dry indoor conditions is worse because of forced air heating cooling insulated windows and walls and chemistry is more but they're being uh, they haven't understood that every single moment of the day when the person isn't drinking enough water and they're taking a medication have they done a water test to see how many glasses they've been drinking um no have they understood that the person could be full of toxin because of something in bacteria before they gave him the medication? So we have a lot to learn yes. in our lives, and you're out there with the ecology and trying to help us there. But I, we have to go. I we could spend hours with you. I hope you. I really appreciate your mission that you're giving. Uh, sounds like since you're a young man, to stay to the science of all of this study. But I hope you'll come on again one day and we'll learn more. I'd be glad to. But you have a nice day there in southern Oregon. Yes, and, and thanks for the opportunity to, dis, to discuss these issues. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you. And have a nice Earth Day tomorrow. You too. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye well, how fascinating is this? Now, Earth Day is tomorrow. And Earth Day was founded, as I told you, by a former governor and senator from Wisconsin, and he is absolutely, since 1962, before it became fashionable to think about it, 
uh, Gaylord Nelson in Wisconsin decided that we all should be considering our environment. And around the world, it has become quite a memory, I hope, to him. Tomorrow is Earth Day. And it started in 1962 by former Governor Senator Gaylord Nelson in Wisconsin, the most beautiful state out there in the farmlands and the beauty of that gorgeous state. I can see why somebody from Wisconsin thought of it. We're going to take a moment with our sponsor, and we're going to be right back with Art Bernstein, who has a master's degree in anthropology and also for forestry, and we're going to talk about forests. We'll be, we're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, a supplement for dry air for the eyes, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Hi, you're listening to this Sharon Klein Hour, The Power of Water and Your Earth. Art, are you with us? I am with you. I'm sorry we won't have as much time because you know Dr. Tom Atsit. And uh, he was so fascinating. We ran into more that he could tell us as a scientist. And before you and I began to talk about the forest, uh, I wanted to tell you and the listeners that in USA Today magazine, they had, um, it said, in celebrating Earth Day, and by the way, this person doesn't know I'm doing this, but it was mentioned about a uh, book called The Green Foods Bible, written by David Sandoval, and uh, it's green, eating green uh, foods, but he mentioned, and this is why I'm mentioning him, David Sandoval, the author of the Green Foods Bible, he said, every morning when you get up, drink a glass of water upon waking, eat dark pigmented fruit and dark leafy green vegetables every day, and avoid products with high fructose corn syrup or let's say high carbohydrate too. But I remember when our ophthalmologist and Dr. Payton had mentioned that, uh, and Dr. Marguerite McDonald, we should be eating like kale and spinach and dark foods. And, of course, we all know we should have drink a lot of water. What are you going to be educating us today about the forest, then, or your concerns? Because tomorrow is Earth Day. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, drought and how quickly uh, green can turn to brown. Exactly. I appreciate uh, that. With respect to forest. Yes. In fact, you know, recently we had a guest here uh, who was with the state of Texas in the Forest Service. And he said, oh, my gosh, look at the brown. Oh, look at the beautiful green. Why aren't they cutting down the dead because of all the bugs and the, and, and the insects? that are um, take over the forest and kill our animals with disease. So the green, uh, what, tell us more about the, the green forest and what happens to, to make it brown. 
Well, in the 70s, uh, we had a drought that lasted four or five years of uh, less than average rainfall in Oregon. Now, we need to mention something that I've learned in my studies, too, Art, that when you're having a drought, it's like a body drought, your body's dry, and then you're having a forest drought or a land drought, uh, things begin to die that didn't have enough moisture, and, and the insects and all the diseases of what we might see when in the bark and then the trees die. And those around there that become brown and diseased affect the other healthy part of the forest or and the healthy animals. Because yeah. dry does but, uh, breed bacteria. I, in the late 1970s, I was working as a forester, and we flew over the Rogue River Canyon. And we could see these uh, patches of, of drought-killed trees. Uh, just, just sticking up out of the forest, and um, they don't get enough water, and they start to get stressed. And when they get stressed, they get uh, insects, mm-hmm. and the insects burrow under the bark, and they get all these diseases, and then they die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's nature. And then the uh, the insects spread spread to other trees, and then uh, or maybe because of their you know they're a little more prone to fire when they're dried out a little bit. And you know, there's more, there's more uh, dry also, fuel underneath, you know. Yeah, excuse me for interrupting there for a minute. But, you know, our environmental thinking has come a little extreme. And tomorrow is Earth Day, and I'm, I remember I used to make all these planters on Earth Day. I'd go out and to the forest and collect certain things and make planters. And one time I remember uh, the founder of California Oregon Broadcasting, who Bill Smolin was also, Absolutely. Uh, was named uh, Broadcasting Man of the Whole United States one time. I took him that gift. And he said, oh, my gosh. I said, well, it's Earth Day, and I want you to have this special Earth <laughs> gift. And I had made him this beautiful planter of Earth. And uh, it brings a symbol of all of us together, something that somebody could well afford anything in the world but to bring Earth to them and, and any time, at any day, uh, like my older daughter, Julia, puts the planters together with mosses and, and ferns that can grow through the moss through the planters, and it makes you feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm part of this earth out there in the woods. And when you think of dying, uh, the environmentalists, let's say, the extreme people, don't want anyone to go out and cut them down. And I've heard from the California foresters, that the, the, what happens in California is the, the tree, the dead brush that's cut down survives the healthy. That when they've had those fires art, that's because only in the areas, no, I shouldn't say only, but in the areas that they never cut it down. But in the areas uh, they cut the dread- Yeah, uh, I don't know. There are people that just don't want to cut a tree down well, they're the same they can, people who don't want to build their reservoir, you know, uh, and people can moss, die. Uh, yeah. At one point in the 80s, there were like thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of eastern Oregon of, of dead Douglas fir, uh, which is the most valuable timber tree there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, gypsy moths, they ate all leaves off them. Mm-hmm. And they go from one tree to the next to the next to the next, and the next thing you know, you got uh, 50,000 acres. Well, insects and a dead bark is, I'm sure many people have seen dead, are not dead, insects eating up the wood on your, on your house. You've yeah. seen insects eating the bark of your tree. 
well, what are you going to do about it? Let the insects take over and not kill them and tell the tree is dead? And then what is going to happen to the rest of the trees that are still alive? We have to be responsible. We have to think. Yeah, well, it's like humans. Uh, if the insects are burrowing under the bark on a tree, if they're getting plenty of water, it doesn't bother them. Right. Um, if they're not getting enough water, then uh, the tree it starts seriously impacting the tree's ability to feed itself. Now, when uh, Oregon had this biscuit fire, uh, was there a lot of dread trees in the forest and bushes that just rampantly when the fire started? Because it was, what, was it one of the largest fires we've ever had in the United States? Yeah, it was a half a million acres. <coughs> and... Um, I don't know. There was a, it was actually a couple of very wet seasons right before the biscuit fire. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they had no, they weren't cutting down the dead brush and the dread trees. The problem with the biscuit fire was that they'd been excluding uh, fire for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a choice of a, a little fire every twenty year, every twenty years, or a huge fire every hundred years. Mm-hmm. But those forests are going to burn down eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Forest Service practice of uh, putting out all the little fires created a situation where when it finally did burn, it was just colossal. Well, I'm sorry to have to say our time is up um, because I spent so much with Dr. Atzett because you're so much full of information. Well, he's a friend of mine, and he's a fabulous person. Oh, I talked to those. You could do a lot worse than spending time with him. They say this man is a genius uh, throughout the whole United States. He's quite an an interesting person. He's very nice. We'll have him on again. But I appreciate you being on with us, and uh, let's think about the drought, and let's think about green is means moisture. Well, thank you, Art. Have a nice day. Good to talk to you. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Well, are are you feeling like your mouth is dry? Do you feel like your nasal passages are dry? Your skin is the skin of your earth is dry. And remember, no two complexions are alike, no two eyes are alike, and no two fingerprints. Start getting serious about being vain in your own consciousness. Discipline yourself. Don't be vulnerable about what you want Let's learn to take better care of ourselves. That's what this show is all about. I want you to know I care. And if I cared anymore, I might even have a tearjerker once in a while because we're a family together on this planet. Every one of us is here to help one another. If you haven't seen it yet, maybe one day you will. But there will be others of us who might see it. How well, how much we should be a partnership and work together. Moisture for life is green. Drink a lot of water. You will be healthier. Earth's secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Have a nice day. And thank you for listening.